Thank you so much for joining The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I am your host, Sharon Feckety, the author of The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I hope you will go on Amazon and purchase the book or download it on Audible and listen to the book so you can get some more insight as to why I decided to start this podcast show a few years ago and continue the conversation. You're going to hear from professionals. You're going to hear from people with lived experience, those that struggle with anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. Uh, You're going to listen to people that have recovered. Uh, You're going to hear resources about how you can navigate through this broken road to mental health and life in a business. And you will certainly be hearing me talk about the importance of having this discussion in business today. That is what I speak about at conferences, and I hope that you will take it seriously. We need to speak more about mental health in the workplace. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Please be sure to tell somebody you know that might be struggling to subscribe, to listen, to watch and share it with others. You are not alone on this broken road to mental health. Hello, everybody, and welcome to or welcome back to the Broken Road to Mental Health show. I am very excited to have Dr. Norman Rosenthal with us today. He is a world-renowned psychiatrist and best-selling author who first described seasonal affective disorder. And much more and light therapy and all the things that I am very, very happy to know about already in my life. But knowing that I'm having this wonderful opportunity to speak to you today, um, someone who has worked and researched and pioneered to get this message out there, I feel very honored. And I don't say that to many people. So thank you for being here. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So um, I have gone down your rabbit hole, but not everybody has had the uh, privilege as of yet. I do know your story and your beautiful uh, immigrant story of coming to the United States in the 70s with a family and and what happened in New York. Um, It's very uh, uh, similar, not similar, but... um, uh, not the same. Certainly, I did not come from another country. My my parents came from Ireland and uh, immigrated to New York. And that's where I grew up. But 18 years ago, I moved to Tampa Bay, Florida, because I had suffered so terribly with depression um, that after being sober 10 years, I knew that I needed to be in the sun. So um, with that, I would love to hear about you and your purpose about writing this book that is so, so needed in this world. So thank you for writing it. Well, thank you. You know, when you ask somebody their story, one never knows exactly where to begin. I begin wherever you want. I come from South Africa, mm-hmm. a sunny country. And I came to New York City, to the United States of America, like so many people, because it offers people all over the world uh, a beacon of hope Mm. that they can become who they want to be, that they can realize their dreams. And my dream was to become a psychiatrist and a researcher and understand the human brain. So I came to do my psychiatric residency in New York City at Columbia. And at the same time, my wife and I and little boy were 
making the adjustment to a new country. And one of the huge adjustments turned out to be the darkening days immediately after the daylight savings time change, mm. when suddenly I walked outside and it was dark. Yeah. And it was almost scary, like mm-hmm. a horror movie. <laughs> where has the sun gone? Because nobody warned me about it, really. And uh, so I realized that the winter posed a huge challenge for me. Mm. All the exciting projects that I was racing to finish in the summer, suddenly I was asking myself, was I crazy to undertake all those things? And so it went year after year, difficulties in the winter, very intensely excited and productive in the summer. Mm. And then I came down to the National Institute of Mental Health here in Washington, uh, Bethesda, Maryland. And by putting a number of pieces together in a puzzle, realized that I was just one of millions of people actually who suffer from the darkness, short days. And they had just thought that's just how life is. They didn't think maybe there's a specific thing at work here that's Mm. causing us to be miserable for five months out of the year. And so this book represents four decades of research and clinical work, elucidating the problem, working with wonderful colleagues all over the world to figure out the best ways to treat it and understand it. And so what I've done here in Defeating SAD, because the name we gave to this condition is Seasonal Affective Disorder, or SAD, S-A-D, Defeating SAD, a guide to healthy and happy living through all seasons. Mm. So that's what the book is. And so having done a lot of clinical work, having done a lot of research and writing, it's it's a sort of primer, it's a condensate of everything I know that I'm giving to the reader in the hope that it makes you feel better in the dark days. And also, I should say, in the sunny days of summer, which some people struggle with as well. Yes. So I have already pre-ordered my book, and you'll all be happy to know to, uh, you can get it on Audible. Um, you can also get it in paper. I'm going to have both because I'm sending it to my uncle um in new york and i think that i never knew that that was it was a thing i i never knew that um there was a name for it until very recently and uh, i i'd mentioned i was 10 years sober and was living in new york myself so i identify with this uh, very much and um when i was blessed enough to get out of the depression that I struggled with when I was 21 years old, I did not want to be in the dark anymore. You know, I had my, my uh, father's employee assistance program counselor was the one who, you know, pretty much saved my life because he was brave enough to ask me if I was having suicidal thoughts. And when I said, yes, uh, he would tell me every Tuesday when I went to see him that one day I was going to open the blinds in my room and the sun was going to shine in again. And I used to make him tell me that every Tuesday. So to know today that you um, have written this book and have done all this research is emotional, to say the least, for me to know that I, I get to talk to you. I'm so grateful. 
but it was really very um, obvious to me, I would say, being in New York for a long time and and knowing that in the summertime, I always did really well, that I needed to be in the sunshine state. You know, it wasn't like, uh, oh, I just like to go to the beach. No, I, I needed the light. I needed the sun. And even in my work today, I'm in a, a well building. So the circadian rhythm is very, very important and natural light and plants and all the things are very important. So I want the audience to understand, because I don't think many people do. I love a lot of your talks that you did. You even said that you bring your own light to the hotel that you were staying at. And I find for myself too, if I'm in the darkness or it's a gloomy day, I could really not feel well. So maybe we could talk about um, some of the wonderful research that you've done. So people don't think like I did that there's really something wrong with me. I should just be fine to be in a cloudy day. It's ridiculous. Well, it is true that when this thing first broke, when we first described the problem, a lot of people thought it was really ridiculous, including (laughs) my colleagues. And I remember one meeting I attended where one of my colleagues called me and said, hi there. Um, come, let's stand over here under the light. I'm already getting depressed. And she was just kidding me. She wasn't really depressed. She was just saying, uh, isn't this a joke? Yes, making Um, fun. Yeah, I've I've been there myself. Go ahead. Making fun. There was also a humorous Australian journal. It wasn't really a journal. It was a fake journal called the Journal of Irreproducible Results. Hmm. And they satirized our our initial study in which we showed that people with SAD, seasonal affective disorder, actually, we did a controlled study, responded to bright light. Mm. It was amazing how all of a sudden, you know, people were just kind of, uh, there was like flowers suddenly opening up and blooming in Mm. front of your eyes. It was like a miracle. Mm. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life to see something happen you know it's like you're waiting watching the horizon expecting the sun to rise and suddenly it rises it's sunrise it's a miracle if that's how it felt and then of course we had to do all our due diligence and do the controlled studies and you know meet up with our um, the skepticism of our colleagues which is right because Mm -hmm. that's how science works and get colleagues who would replicate our studies, which they did. And so now it's pretty much accepted that bright light is a very powerful treatment for this particular kind of condition. So we can talk about what the condition is, we can talk about how the bright light gets administered, but the fascinating thing that I open up in the new book is that there's so much more to what you can do to help yourself than just the light. Mm. Yes. Well, I would like to dive into as much as you're willing to offer. uh, I know that there's going to be some uh, information in the book to, to expand upon what we're going to discuss today, because as I'm, I'm sure, you know, and, and have witnessed in your, in your practice and in all of your research that it's, it's never really one thing. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's I, never really one thing that is 
beautifully put yeah. and true. And that's the central message of my book, mm. that the light is an amazing innovation, mm. but it is only one thing. And you yeah. really need to add a lot of other self-help things to get the full benefit of being a healthy human being. Yes, right. So let's talk about that because I I think people think I'm joking around when I tell them what my mental health workout is. You know, I I have to get I get up and I exercise and and then I work out. I mean, I I meditate and then I take a walk in nature. And then I walk my dog. And then, you know, there's all of these things in practice. I also belong to a, a support group that has helped me for 29 years now. So community is a thing. Therapy is a thing. It's so much. But this particular book that you have written, I really feel like can, can help people understand how impactful their, their surroundings are. I always say to my husband, he goes, well, why don't you just walk around the neighborhood? I said, well, I could, but I'd rather get in my car and drive to the park because I'd like to feel the aesthetics of nature. And I'd like to see the sun glistening on the water. <laughs> it's a little cheesy for most, but for me, it has been a practice that is not just the one thing that I mentioned before. So I would love to hear more about um, what you included in the book and, and how we can help somebody that might be listening or watching today, that this might be something totally new that they hear about how the light can affect somebody's depression or sadness or sad. Well, you can ask, you know, what did I include in the book? And I can simply say everything you've just said, <laughs> because that's what constitutes self-care. Mm. And that's what constitutes a really healthy life. Now, one is very fortunate to be able to do all those things because they do take time. Mm -hmm. But living does take time. Mm -hmm. And um, but some people's lives are so troubled with burdens and responsibilities and things that gobble up all their time, that they can't do all those things. But I've done everything I can to do the same kind of things that you've said. Uh, you know, I have shared in the book and right now that I do have seasonal affective disorder, but that winters are now fine for me mm. because I've figured out ways to, I understand it. So once you understand something, that's half of the problem. Sure. Then you can begin to figure out ways to combat it. So just to start with a the light therapy, because uh, people will want to know, there are special light fixtures um, that give off a certain amount of light that you can't get in ordinary indoor settings. And in the book, I'm very practical. I've got two chapters on light therapy, how to administer the timing, the duration, what you need to look for in the light box. In mm -hmm. other words, you'll go to the internet and you'll see a lot of light boxes and you'll think, well, this one is only... $60 and this one's $250. So I'll first I'll try this little one and then, but the little one may be useless. It doesn't give off enough light. So I tell people you need lights of this size. Don't waste your time and money and effort and then get a negative result and then just say, well, I'm giving up. 
If you are a sober woman like me, you absolutely hate that there are no other options at that business event you have to go to, that happy hour event with no other choices except soda and water. You don't even really have a mocktail on the menu, and I don't really trust it sometimes because I am a sober woman, no alcohol intake. Well, you are so lucky because if you live here in Tampa Bay, we have a beautiful space called Urban Flow that is a non-alcoholic beverage haven. So I'm just going to show you a few of my favorites if you're watching. This one is Hayo. This one is Rockaway, obviously, because I'm from East Rockaway, Long Island, New York. And this one is Busty Lush. Okay. Non-alcoholic beer, woman-owned. This one here is an example of a beer that I would not drink because it's got low alcohol, 0.5%, but I wouldn't touch a drop of alcohol. So I stick to the ones that are absolutely non-alcoholic and they're delicious and they're functional. And this space is right here in Tampa Bay. So if you're looking for a refreshing and a unique selection of functional drinks, oh my God, that are so delicious, Check out Urban Flow, baby. Mm. If you don't use the right kind of light. So I show people what kind of light, how much light. And there are, now there are many. You know, when I first started, we used ceiling fixtures because there were no light boxes. <laughs> but now there are commercial entities that have uh, quality products. So each day, uh, some light therapy is valuable. Often the morning is the best time and um, get a reputable company's light box. They always will let you uh, send them back for a refund. So keep the packaging material in case you want to return it. And so that's really light therapy. I mean, there's so much more to it, but I want to give people the essence. And that's the essence. But then when you go to the park mm. in the winter and you look up at the sky, you're getting light therapy. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that there is no box as big as the sky right and no box is going to give you as much light as you will get now yeah. in tampa florida you're much better off than in new york city or even further north the sky may be very leaden and very dark but it still gives off light mm. so when you combine the exercise and the light then you're already adding to whatever artificial light you're using so Combine is the magic word in mm. the book, because as you say, it's not one thing. You've got to combine various things. Right. You know, and it's uh, such a pleasure to hear that because I do feel like there's too many um, people that depend on going to see a psychiatrist and, and getting a pill and thinking that that's the answer. You know, I'm not saying anything. I feel like I'm a walking disclaimer. I, I'm not saying anything against medication. Medication saved my life. I don't care if it was the placebo of it or taking it. It was 20 milligrams of Prozac for six months. I haven't taken anything since. And I have yet to feel those feelings of such despair because I put a practice into my life. But I do realize um, how important that is, but it is never one thing and it is never just meditation. It is never just exercise. It is never just, just, just. So, and we are all so uniquely different, right? What works for me might not work for you. So we really have to find the right people. And that's why I think it's such a, a gift that I found the right person in the beginning. Is that, because who knows what could have happened?
I had tried everything and, and rehabs and halfway houses and detox. And thank goodness, you know, there was somebody that understood what I was going through and could be uh, courageous and brave enough to ask me those bold questions. I want to ask you, though, I'm always interested to know, and this was the one thing I couldn't um, listen to on, on YouTube. I couldn't find it. Maybe if I spent a little more time, but I would love to know what got you into the field of psychiatry? Was there a personal story attached to it? Well, I've always been fascinated by the human mind, my mm -hmm. own and the people around me. I had very intriguing people, family members, as I was growing up in South Africa. And so it always fascinated me. What makes people do what they what they do, and what what makes people sad, and what makes them happy, and what made me sad or happy? And uh, you know, I think part of it is our own journey, and part of it is taking our own journey and using it to make it a universal journey to mm -hmm. help other people. So I would say it was partly my own interest in the people around me, partly the fascination in the human brain. I remember dissecting the brain in uh, medical school and seeing how wonderful an organ it is. And it, it's endlessly intriguing to me. Right. So you have stayed happy at your job because you are so interested and fascinated by it and curious. And, and you know, I think if one isn't happy or isn't um, interested in the world, you're just not looking in the right place. Hmm. You know, because the world is so intriguing and fascinating that nobody should really be bored. No, there are so many options out there to keep us entertained. That's for sure. So can you tell me what does a day for Dr. Nor Norman Rosenthal look like today in 2023? Um, I will wake up and I will meditate for 20 minutes. Mm. This is a good day. Then I'll come and I'll sit in front of my light box for however long I need, depending on what the weather is. Um, and tell me, is this podcast um, just audio or is it visual as well? Both. Well, let me then show you what my light looks like. Oh, please do. Oh, excuse me. You're fine. Here we go. Here we are. That's the light box in front of me. Wow. So I will turn it on. And there you see, I will sit in front of the light. And I might do some mindless things. I might do um, some word games or check the news or answer mm -hmm. my emails because I'm getting the light. So that's really my therapy and the rest is just fun. Mm. Um, and then, um, then I'll go about starting my day. Usually that'll be a walk. Mm -hmm. um, I noticed that you said you do one walk without your dog and one walk with your dog. That's right. And, um, you know, I can understand because when you walk with your dog, the dog wants to sniff everything and you can't get the aerobic effect as easily. That's right. So I try, my dog and I have to compromise with each other. I have to stop <laughs> for some of the sniffing and he has to walk with some of the, and I go up and down hills. That's good. You know, the intermittent increase in the mm. intensity is very valuable. So I would do that and then I would come and get my day going, sit down with my assistant, plan out the day, um, return calls, et cetera, et cetera. But, but the meditation, the uh, exercise, the light, um, 
these I would call part, I've got two chapters in my book on foundational habits. Hmm. These are foundational habits, exercise, light, exposure to nature, just like you do. Um, just the feeling of the the air, the season changing, the trees. Somehow yeah. I relate to the trees. It's like I feel as though they're living organisms. Yeah. They're breathing oxygen into the air. Mm. They are some in some instances older than we are. Mm. And um, you know, I take a lot of care of the trees on my property because I feel like they're living creatures. Yeah. And so I know I must sound like a real kook. But... No, not, not to me. You know, <laughs> I surround myself with tree huggers. So you're in good company here. <laughs> but but so that's what I do. And um, and my work. I love my work. I feel very privileged. And then, of course, the emotional relationships, family, friends, and my little dog under my desk here. Um, Mine is over here. <laughs> so those are the things that um, I've written about because those are the things that I do in my daily life and I think when did you life... make that decision to write more when, you know you were practicing for many years and then what was it that said because I, I know I had my own moment uh, and I know how difficult it is to write a book I can't imagine what it's like for a doctor because you all have to have so many footnotes and I can just write <laughs> um, nobody's really looking at mine with a, a magnifying glass so what was it that that brought you to that place well I always wanted to be a writer I felt mm -hmm. like I was a writer at heart but Aww, in nice. South Africa my dad said you can't make a living as a writer <laughs> and you know, I have to say, the old guy was right. <laughs> <laughs> he said, first, you'll be a doctor, and then you can be a writer. So I right. became a doctor. And then I became a psychiatrist, because I was fascinated in that. And yeah. then I became a researcher, because I was fascinated in that. And somewhere along the line, I thought, you know, it's my time to write. Mm. I've got some things I want to say, some things I want to share. Um, I whatever little pieces of magic I have experienced in my own life I want to share with other people mm -hmm. and that's when the writing bug got me and this is now my 11th book oh my goodness 11 books that's amazing congratulations and I know they've been New York Times bestsellers so yeah one got a one was a New York Times bestseller two were national bestsellers wonderful but you know sometimes it's like your children, you mm. know, uh, you love each one of them because you've invested a piece of yourself in each one of them. And that's how I feel about my writing. This particular one, uh, to me, I just wanted to help people. Mm. I just want, and that's why I've made it short. People mm. don't like long books and right. hopefully interesting, you know, uh, with lots of salient quotes and things. So yes, I I have. Um, it's been a wonderful journey, and uh, you know I'll keep on writing as long as I've got ideas and as long as I think I can be useful. That's wonderful. I think that uh, you're right about the short books. I mean, mine couldn't be any shorter. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think when you're reliving your trauma, you have to keep it short. <laughs> but uh, I I do think that. It's very comforting to hear that you have 
written these books, but we need more psychiatrists, I feel like, to offer some some solace and some science. And also knowing how you live your own life, I think is very important because I think sometimes there's such a separation between the patient and the physician. And we don't, we don't look at them like human beings. We, we look up and um, although you have spent all of these years that I know I'm so grateful for uh, in school and learning and um, bettering yourself uh, in, in the educational sense, I think that it's, so nice to hear the personal, simple almost approaches to something so complex like the brain, right? Right. Because I think that there's so much resistance at times to just try something different. And I, you know, because of just me, I have no clinical background, but I've, you know, worked in the medical industry for 25 years now. Um, and now that I've let everybody know about my own struggles in my own life, it's very easy for somebody to ask me what I do in terms of getting better. But I think that these mental health, simple practices like light and meditation um, are just so, so important. Did you find yourself in the pandemic um, continuing to be able to do quiet meditation or do you um, practice a certain type of meditation yourself? My own meditation is transcendental meditation. Mm. And um, I did it at first when I was in medical school, and mm. then I let it drop. And 35 years later, I was sitting in my office with a bipolar young man. And he said, you know, this practice is making me very happy. And then I told him I'd done it years ago, and he really pushed me to go back to it again. Um. So I owe him for helping me get back to my practice it's a simple practice it's just a you have to be trained but then you just use a mantra mm -hmm. and it lets you sink into a state called transcendence and in that state insights arise feelings arise things that don't happen if you're just walking around doing your ordinary stuff and I think they infuse you with a sense of depth and spirituality. And I do attribute that practice to my success of at writing recently. You know, it was it was very instrumental to me. Well, amen to that. <laughs> if we are not quieting the mind, right? How how can we put those uh impactful thoughts onto paper or onto the computer? I shouldn't say paper anymore. Who says paper anymore? But uh, I really, I, I think it's a very important practice. Um, I think it's, a, I used to say it myself as a New Yorker, if somebody brought up meditation, I would say, ah, I don't have time to meditate. My brain is too active. It's, you know, so ridiculous. But it was my truth for a long time. And in the pandemic, I asked that um, because I was doing silent meditation for a, a few years and I had to go back to guided because the noise was too much of the world. And I think when you are a sensitive, um, sober, you've been through stuff like most people have in their lives and, and you feel the impact of what's happening to the world. I needed that somebody to talk to me. And I also think that's why it's so great that you recorded your book, because I think that people need um, somebody to talk to them. 
they might not have the right people face to face, but to be able to hear somebody is so powerful. You know, it's really interesting because when I recorded, I imagined my patients, the many patients that have passed before me, and I've, I imagined talking to them and mm. telling them all these things that I know can help them. Mm-hmm. It's a very wonderful gift to be able to be in that position to offer this kind of help to people. And I thought if I can amplify that impact through recordings, through writings in various ways, what privilege it is. It is a privilege. I can't wait to listen to this book. I'm so excited about it. And I would love it if you would consider coming back because there's so much that I would like to ask you. But I I think um, that this book that you have just released into the world, this gift uh, that will be available on August 15th of 2023 is is certainly a book that you don't want to miss out on. But um, I'm excited to read The Gift of Adversity too, because I do believe it's a gift. It's it's what I used to sign off with when I did any of my speaking events. I, I wish you adversity because it is a gift. It's one of my favorite books. I think you will like mm. it as well as Poetry Rx. Okay. Uh, I'm going to check 50, them out. How 50 inspiring poems can heal and bring joy to your life. That was my pandemic recourse. That oh, wow. that got me through the pandemic. So. Mm. Oh, I'm so excited to read them all. All right, everybody. I forgot that you were here with me for just a minute. I thought it was just me and Dr. Rosenthal, which are it's my favorite joy, kind of interviews. Really. It's, it's a delight to talk with you. And mm. thank you for having me on your show. No, thank you for being here. I appreciate you so much. If you live here in Tampa Bay, we have a beautiful space called Urban Flow that is a non-alcoholic beverage haven. If you're looking for a refreshing and a unique selection of functional drinks, oh my God, that are so delicious, check out Urban Flow, baby.